Today's first scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. second passage today is also from Genesis, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 2. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will, and you will be a blessing. And then today's final reading is from the book of Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. It's a bit of a different start to our message today. And no, this message is not sponsored by IKEA. You know, as creative and whimsical as this commercial is, it also serves as a commentary of the power, on the power of storylines. You know, two storylines are presented to us today. Storylines, my thing not working here, okay. Uh, storylines, and through this dramatic music and these carefully selected scenes, Camera shots, our minds fill in the story of a forlorn lamp discarded by its owner for apparently no reason. Our hearts break for this lamp until the host steps up to tell us how ridiculous it is to feel feelings for an inanimate object. <laughs> One storyline of sadness, another storyline of a newer and better upgrade. And I imagine this commercial was made before uh, the age of recycling and free free, uh, buy nothing groups to which many of us might respond with the third storyline of righteous, self-righteous anger. Where are the sustainable practices? Why did the owner not give this away and free cycle it? Do you know what plastic and compact fluorescent lamps do to trash land landfills? It goes to show you how storylines play out in our minds based on what we pay attention to. Last week, we began a new series on the power of our words in blessing and cursing. How blessing and cursing in the ancient world is a statement and extension of relationship, and God desires to bless all of creation through humanity. Today we're going to pay attention to this particular storyline of God's blessing revealed in Scripture. 
So as we begin, let me ask you these questions for yourself. What storylines do you pay attention to in this world? What storylines do you live by and proclaim in your life? See, we're all products of our environments. From the moment we are born, we enter into a story that our parents have been living and hope to pass on to you, much like the story of passing on Emily and Nathan's faith on to Arthur today. And as we grow up, we move to new places and take on more responsibility for our lives, and we inherit other storylines from people around us, and especially through the media. Now, most storylines are subconscious. They work implicitly based on the kinds of relationships and experiences that we have in life, and especially in these formative years. If we've enjoyed relative comfort and stability, then we might live a storyline of upward mobility through education and opportunity. We expect that through hard work and determination and maybe a little good luck, we'll do a little bit better than our parents have done. We'll be a little wealthier, we'll have a little more freedom to make choices for ourselves. But if we've experienced hardship and displacement, then perhaps we might live a different storyline of oppression and of trauma. We might feel that the world is stacked against us and that our wounds are life-defining and life-altering. Others of us embrace ideological storylines. We see the world through a storyline of empire and oppression, that power and authority are almost always abusive and guilty, and those who are oppressed and marginalized are almost always innocent. Or there's the popular storyline that sexual fulfillment and romance are essential for our happiness. Or another common storyline, that, that we are being persecuted for your social or for your political or religious convictions. Maybe some of us live by storylines that are a little more personal. A storyline that I'm never going to be happy, that I'm unloved, that I am alone, and that the world and perhaps even God has actually got things against me. And maybe I've made a decision in my life that has changed my life or something has happened to me and I'm saying the rest of my life, I'm never going to let that happen to me. See, we all have these storylines that we live by, whether they're explicit or implicit, conscious or subconscious, and we use these storylines to filter the world that we see. Like colored lenses that we put over our lives. They add a certain shade to the world that we see and the way that we navigate through the world. Our past experiences, whether they are traumatic or whether they are particularly positive and memorable, they add new color to the way that we see the world and the way that we navigate through it. Filtering out, emphasizing certain things that we hope to see and filtering out others that we hope to ignore. And as a result, we begin to tell stories along those lines and we use our words to affirm and reinforce those realities that we perceive. So, again, the question is, what storylines do you pay particular attention to? And how are you willing to humbly admit them before God? Here's this thing about storylines that we live by. They are often true and untrue at the same time. They are true in a sense that they affect us and they affect the people around us in very tangible ways. They are true in the terms of the events that happen to us. They are true in terms of the emotions that we feel as a result of those events. But how we interpret those events and emotions can change. The meaning and the significance that we imbue to those events 
and emotions can change depending on the storylines that we pay attention to, the ones that we live by and the ones that we proclaim. So in this sense, every storyline that we live by, as true as it may be, also has a degree of untruth in the way that we interpret it, in the way that we interpret its significance to our human experience and to our lives. But there is one storyline that is complete and comprehensive and unchanging, and it's a storyline of God's blessing that we find unfolding in Scripture. As Scripture tells the story of God's redemptive work in the world, we see the storyline of blessing and of hope. Last week we highlighted how these different form, these ancient forms of blessings and curses are primarily uh, describing a relationship between God and humanity. And today's readings trace God's blessing through the people of God in the biblical record. God chooses to bless Adam and Eve, then he chooses to bless Abraham, and then he chooses to bless Jesus, among many others. But they, he, we've highlighted these to highlight how God chooses them to be instruments of God's blessing to the world. To Adam and Eve, so let me just recap it in a little bit more detail. To Adam and Eve, at the outset of the created order is, the bless, is this blessing to be fruitful, to be multiplying, and to be faithful stewards of God's creation. The story begins with proclamations of hope and blessing for all of created order through Adam and Eve. But we find very shortly sin and its curse entered the world. Now, while we often think of sin as these disobedient actions, sin is best understood as this choice to step away from a relationship with God. And that breaking of relationship results in consequences that are described as curses. Adam and Eve must leave the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God's presence. Their lives would be much harder apart from God. A few generations later, though all humans shared a common language, the people in the city named Babel used that unity to build a tower for their own glory. They want to make a name for themselves, again, apart from the living God. So God gives them exactly what they want. God gives them autonomy. God gives them uh, independence. God scatters them as a result, geographically, but also linguistically. Many generations after Adam and Eve, this promise of blessing seems to be a distant reality. Yet, the ch immediately, the, the chapter after in Genesis 12, God comes to a man named Abram, who lives in a far-off land named Ur, which is now modern-day Iraq. God calls Abraham to go to the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel-Palestine, and Abraham is, invi is invited to leave his sources of identity, the storylines that he's been living, his sources of security, his family, his land, and to trust God completely, even to the degree of Abraham's name, Abram's name being changed to Abraham. God promises that through this one man and his family, all the families of the world would be blessed. Now Abraham takes this blessing and leaves. He moves from Iraq up to Syria. And it's, we know it's imperfect. And he moves all the way down through the land of Canaan to Egypt and eventually settles in the land of Canaan, trusting simply in this promise of God. But still, it never seems to come to pass in his life. Where is God's blessing? And through Abraham's descendants emerges Moses and the people of Israel, eventually becoming a kingdom, peaking under the rule of David and Solomon many generations later. And they think that God's blessing has now arrived. 
But the people of Israel find that God's blessing doesn't come in the way that they expect. They thought God's blessing would be expressed in a political nation-state and wealth and respect and power. But instead, God's blessing upon creation comes very differently. Within a few generations after David and Solomon, the blessed kingdom of Israel is shattered. They're all separated, lost, missing, again, because God's people fail to live in right relationship with the living God. See, this storyline of God's blessing on God's people once again goes silent for almost a thousand years. Now, fast forward to Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, God's son. Born to a carpenter and a teenage mom, in a small town. And by this time, God's people, they're actually living in, on the soil of the promised land, but they're living under the control of the Roman Empire. They have a temple, but they're waiting for the Messiah to come to restore all of God's blessing. But that seems increasingly distant. Jesus, who's now 30 years by this time that this passage was read, is baptized by his relative, John the Baptist. And in that moment... Everyone present hears a voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we don't hear the word blessing here, but these words are a proclamation of God's blessing over Jesus. And with these words, God is speaking a reality over Jesus' life. These words affirm Jesus' identity. These words affirm God's love for and God's pleasure over him. Now, just a few observations with these blessings. In all of these examples, Adam and Eve, Abraham, and Jesus, God's blessing is proclaimed over them before they do a single thing. God's blessing isn't granted because they've done something for God. For Abraham, he simply stepped into this blessing, this hoped-for future in faith. For Jesus, he stepped into the blessing at this baptism, but before he actually did any of his active ministry, before he healed anyone, before he taught anyone. So what does this tell us? Blessing, we learned last week, is about a relationship. Today we're learning blessing is about a storyline of a hope for future. And as the story of scripture unfolds, we find that the way God's blessing on creation is a very particular kind of a hoped for future. God's desire to bless humanity is very different from what people often expect. Take a look at what happens to Jesus. Does Jesus take God's blessing, his proclaimed blessing, and go on to status and influence? Not really, at least not the way that his contemporaries believed. Does Jesus take God's blessing and go to start a family, raising up children who become fine citizens and leaders in the church? No. Does Jesus take God's blessing and start some nonprofits to improve the status of women and children and organize action against the oppressive Roman Empire? No. Okay, yes, following Jesus may result in material provision and upward mobility. It doesn't have to. And yes, following Jesus may result in working for a more just world and societal influence. They may reflect God's blessing on creation, but those are not the core storyline of God's blessing in history. We find that the blessing of God's love and pleasure over Jesus takes him to the greatest paradox of blessing and curse, which is the cross. 
See, the cross symbolizes the curse of sin and brokenness. And yet Jesus' action on the cross blesses humanity with healing, with redemption, with divine love. And with this blessing of God, Jesus lives the storyline of selfless sacrifice for the sake of others that takes him all the way to the cross. And in his Sermon on the Mount, his instruction to his followers, he invites his followers to the same paradoxical life of blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are those who are meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful, who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Does this sound like a blessed life in our world standards? Jesus goes on further in that sermon to say, bless those who curse you. We learned last week, a curse is essentially saying, I don't see you, I don't want to see you, I want you dead, I don't want a relationship with you. You're supposed to bless those people. That's what Jesus says. Bless those who curse you, bless those, and love those who persecute you. This is the storyline that Jesus invites his followers into. Jesus trusted God and blessed others. And this storyline of blessing that began in creation arrives in this one human. Jesus blessed those who cursed him. Jesus reverses curses by healing people, as we learned in Luke chapter 5 this morning in the teaching time. And Jesus curses the religious leaders in power who were holding people back from seeing God as God was meant to be seen. Jesus trusted God and blessed others. At the beginning, God brought blessing from the chaos from the darkness in the creation story. And when Jesus arrives at the cross, God brings blessing by reversing that curse in Jesus' death and resurrection. The curse upon the world, the curse of a forever broken relationship with God that could not be restored in our own strength. That curse is put to death on the cross so that blessing would come to all who would embrace this offer from God in Christ the Son. This is the storyline of blessing that God invites us into. And while we still see death and its curse of a broken relationship with God, it's real in this world. But we also see Christ on the cross. And this hope of God's blessing in the crucified Christ may even mean losing your status, may even mean losing your popularity and recognition and perhaps even your life. I participated in my first pray-in protest this week. A friend just emailed me this uh, article. Uh, that's a link to it. You don't have to go to it, but it's an article highlighting this protest. I received this invitation to join some Catholic sisters and brothers who planned a pray-in in the Senate building. It, we sang some prayers. I mean, we sang some songs, prayed some prayers, and litanies, and heard some statements protesting or advocating for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict. I've never been a part of this kind of event, and when I registered, they asked, are you willing to be arrested? And I said, no, not at this time. But <laughs> others were. And as we were waiting for this to start, I chatted with another participant next to me. She's like, I'm not sure what kind of difference this is going to make. 
This is actually, yeah, but I'm here. And you know what? To be honest with you, that's what I thought too. What's a bunch of ragtag, you know, group of Christians gathered in the Heart Senate building, praying, reading some Bible, and making a few statements? What are we going to do compared to world superpowers with military and weapons? What's a bunch of people with minimal media coverage going to do versus senators and Capitol Police? That's the storyline. What real difference is this going to make? And I told her, you know, I think the same thing. I don't know what our actions today are actually going to do. But I know a God, the God that we pray to, can. You know, I had to remind myself in that moment the storyline that, that God was inviting me to believe in, to proclaim, and to fix my eyes upon. You see, the storyline of God's blessing in this world is ultimately about true hope. Hope is not just a wished-for future. Hope is not just positive thinking. The Christian view of hope is seen as this believed-in future grounded in our crucified and resurrected Jesus. And this believed-in future we find is revealed in Jesus who died and Jesus who rose again and is now alive sitting at the Father's side, crying out for his followers to believe in, to see, to walk in, and to proclaim that very same storyline with our deeds and with our uh, words. Jesus' followers are called to this storyline of God's blessing in the world. And we inhabit this end of the story that we believe in. So bring it closer a little to home. See, when we proclaim blessing over others, we are invited to pay attention to the storylines that may be true in their lives, in our lives, but are not fully true in light of God's blessing in Christ. You see, there is a far more significant storyline that we often overlook, that we often fail to pay attention to. It has been unfolding since the beginning of time, and we are invited to inhabit that storyline of God's blessing in Christ, to believe in it and to proclaim it crucified and resurrected Jesus. So in our interactions with others, whether it's a simple God bless you or speaking words of blessing over our children as we do or team members that you work with or a stranger on the street, we're not just saying well wishes. We have the opportunity to proclaim an alternate reality. We can use our words to bless with a proclaimed believed in future. We speak forth this alternate reality of God's blessing over cre creation that is far more substantial than, I hope it goes well with you. And we're going to get more into the specifics of how we proclaim these kinds of blessings next week. But that's why every service here at WCF, we proclaim a blessing over our children because we believe that's important. We're proclaiming a different future. That's why we pass the peace of Christ. We're not just doing something because it's tradition. It's because we're, we have the opportunity to say, there's a different future when God's peace is upon you. And that's why we proclaim a benediction at the end of the service. Again, it's not just a tradition. When I say it, when I have the privilege of saying it, I'm saying there is a different reality. There is a different substantial storyline that we can live. So go and believe it. Walk in it. We are proclaiming we're building the habit. We're giving language to a new storyline that we can live in.
And yes, our grief towards loss is real. It's true. And we can use our words to lament. And yes, our anger towards injustice may be real, and we can use our words to speak truth to power. And yes, our frustration towards the overwhelming brokenness in our world may be real, and we may use our words to vent that frustration. Those are real and true storylines that we may perceive. But as followers of Jesus, we are entering into this paradox of the cross. And we are also invited to proclaim this paradox of the cross, this great blessing of God. Munther Isaac is a respected Palestinian Christian leader and pastor whom, whom I've had the opportunity to hear from several times. He published a powerful lament this week and also a scathing critique of the Western church that proclaims the, the, also proclaims the paradox of the cross. Yes, he expresses his grief, he expresses his lament, and he expresses his frustrations, but he finds comfort in the message of the cross. And so he proclaims that message faithfully as well, saying this. There's a link to the article on, on the screen if you want to take that. He says, Beloved, in these difficult times, let us comfort ourselves with God's presence amid pain and even amid death. For Jesus is no stranger to pain, arrest, torture, and death. He walks with us in our pain. God is under the rubble in Gaza. He is with the frightened and the refugees. He's in the operating room. This is our consolation. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Continuing on, in front of images of death and pictures of deaths of children, we hear today the immortal call of Christ. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If there is no place for the children of Palestine and the children of Gaza in this cruel and oppressive world, then they have a place in the arms of God. Theirs is the kingdom. In the face of bombing, displacement, and death, Jesus calls them, come to me. You who are blessed by my Father, let the children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom. This is our faith. This is our consolation in our pain. May it be ours as well. May we proclaim this blessed story as faithfully as he does.